Well, good morning, Community Grace. Good to be with you. Good to be with you wherever you are gathered. If you're watching this at home, uh, it's good to be with you as we come into the beginning of the new year. And uh, as you've already heard, the beginning of the new year here, we are kicking off a new sermon series, a sermon series entitled, When Life Gives You Lemons. Now, most of you know how the rest of that phrase goes. When life gives you lemons, make lemonade. When life gives you lemons, make lemonade. But you know, there's some other ways of ending that phrase that I've discovered, a a few more creative ways of finishing that phrase. Let me share a few of them with you this morning. When life gives you lemons, plant its seeds, grow yourself an orchard, sell it to Sunkist, carry on. (laughs) Like that, practical, yes. Uh, When life gives you lemons, forget the lemonade. Make lemon chicken and a rich lemon cheesecake. Blame life for the extra pounds. (laughs) Yeah. How about this? When life gives you lemons, order the lobster tail. (laughs) Yeah, that's not so bad. I like that. Here's one that I just can't help but think of this phrase in the voice of Dan Lugo, okay? So it's, when life gives you lemons, take them, because, hey, free lemons. (laughs) Right? I mean, come on, tell me that doesn't sound like Dan, right? (laughs) How about this one? This is my favorite one, though. When life gives you lemons... Make orange juice and leave the world wondering how you did it. (laughs) Oh, that's some fun with this. You know, it's possible that some of you aren't familiar with this saying, when life gives you lemons, make lemonade. But it simply means this. When something bad happens in life, try and make something good of it. When something bad happens in life, try and make something good. Good of it. Now, that's not bad advice. Sometimes that can really come in handy when you're dealing with challenges in life to kind of make that spin, make that turn to be able to to turn those things forward and and go forward. Sometimes it is, and sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's just not. This past year has been an orchard of lemons coming at us from so many different directions. It's like the the truck is on the road in front of us filled with lemons and the tailgate comes off and it just comes piling towards you, right? You swerve back and forth. There's no way to get out of the way. It's a mess. It's pelting your windshield. It's all over. That's the way that the lemons have been coming at us over the course of a whole year. And it's no longer fair now to say that we talk about 2020 that way because guess what? Everybody was alive and awake this past week saw that the lemons still keep coming. It's a lot. It's overwhelming. And it's just too overly simplistic to say to people, well, hey, you know what? Look on the bright side. Hey, you know what? Just get over it. Just just paint a smile on your face, and everything will be great. In fact, that may not be the most helpful or even biblical way to approach the lemons that come to us in the sour seasons of our life. So we want to take some time to dive into what the Bible has to say and share with us and to actually live into this season with integrity, with honesty, with transparency, before the Lord and before each other. And I know that's a lot to ask, but I believe that God can do that through his spirit at work in us. We're starting this new sermon series, and so there's a question that I want you to keep in mind as we walk our way through this. When life gives you lemons, 
What do you make of them? When life gives you lemons, what do you make of them? What do you make of it? What do you do when these things come your way and sometimes just keep on coming your way? Well, we're going to look at some of the lemons of life and we're going to seek God's wisdom and direction to make our way through these lemons of life and see to the other side. Now, let me prepare you in advance. Some of the places where we're going to go might be hard. They might be hard for you to take in. They might feel very personal and come very close to some nerves in there. We will touch on some areas that are painful, but I promise you this. If you will partake in the journey, God will meet you there. He will meet us there in his mercy, in his love, in his grace, in his comfort, in his compassion. That I promise you because that's just how good God is. So let's begin today by diving into a story, an Old Testament story of a character by the name of Elijah. Elijah. Now, if you don't know about Elijah, that's okay. You can go into the book of 1 Kings, starting at about chapter 17 or so, and read on through about chapter 20, 21, even into the beginning of 2 Kings, and you'll find out about Elijah. But we're going to hone in on a particular part of Elijah's life that hovers around chapter 18 and 19. Now, I'm not going to read all the way through all of this. Instead, what I'm going to do is just kind of give you a brief intro to the story and tell you the story about Elijah at this time in his life. Elijah was a prophet. And what it means to be a prophet is that you speak to God's people on behalf of God. Okay? So God gives you something to say, and you share that with God's people. A lot of people will say that preaching, a part of preaching, is prophetic. It's meant to be, what does God give me to share with you? Okay, so that was Elijah's role, but Elijah's role was on a big grand stage. He was meant to speak to Israel, to all of God's people on behalf of God. And sometimes the things that God wants to share with God's people are not things that make him really happy. And in this particular time of Elijah's life, that was some of what he had to share. And he had to share it with the king, a king named Ahab. And Ahab had a wife named Jezebel. And if you've heard that name before, you might be thinking, oh boy, so that's where that name comes from? Yeah, it's not a real pleasant name because it's not a real pleasant story. Because Ahab and Jezebel were known as the most evil king and queen that Israel had ever seen to that point. Now why were they considered to be so evil? Well, because they were leading God's people to worship other gods. To worship gods by the name of Baal, and by the name of Asherah. Now these were pagan gods. These were gods that were worshipped by other kinds of kingdoms and other communities that surrounded Israel. And Israel was meant to be a group of God's people called to be God's people. The one true God to live a life different and distinct from those other pagan religions. And instead, Ahab and Jezebel welcomed them in. Welcomed them in with open arms. Encouraged the worship of these other gods, as a matter of fact, and rose up prophets to speak on behalf of those gods to God's people, false prophets, hundreds of them, by the way. So Elijah is called in this time period to speak to Ahab, and he goes to find Ahab and presents himself to Ahab, and Ahab sees Elijah and goes, oh, who are you, you troubler of Israel? And Ahab and Elijah have a conversation, and it goes like this. Elijah says, look, Ahab, I know what you've been up to. 
I've seen what's been going on, and it's time to bring this whole situation to a head. So here's what we're going to do. I want you to gather up all of those prophets of Baal and those prophets of Asherah and meet me on the top of Mount Carmel because we're going to have a showdown between your gods and the one true God. And if your gods are the one true God, then worship them. But if mine are, if my one God, the true God, Yahweh, is, then worship him. But we're going to settle this once and for all. So off they go to Mount Carmel. And here are this 450 prophets of Baal with another 400 prophets of Asherah who are all up there face to face with Elijah. And Elijah says, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go build a place for a sacrifice. Put together an altar, cut up an animal, put it on top of that altar, put all kinds of wood and everything to to build a fire around it, but don't light it. Just leave it. And I'm going to do the same thing over here. And I'm going to ask you then to call on your gods, on Baal and on Asherah, and see if they will come and consume the sacrifice with fire that you've put before them. So that's what they do. They go and they make a sacrifice of an animal and they place it on their altar and they put lots of wood around it and then these prophets of Baal and Asherah, they start to pray. And nothing happens. So they start praying some more. And still nothing happens. So they pray again. Only they get a little louder and a little rowdier and a little more impassioned and a little more inflamed. And meanwhile, Elijah's watching all this happen. And Elijah, well, he's kind of a snarky guy, as some prophets tend to be. And he looks at those prophets of Baal and says, Hey, you know what? Maybe you just need to pray a little louder. Because maybe, maybe those gods, they're asleep. Or maybe they've gone on vacation So just really get a little bit louder and maybe they'll hear. And so now these prophets of Baal and these prophets of Asherah start going mad. They're screaming, they're howling, they're dancing, they're cutting themselves and bleeding on the ground. And after all of this, nothing happens. And now it's Elijah's turn. So Elijah says, here we go. I've got an altar that he built out of 12 stones to represent the 12 tribes of Israel. With a platter on top, he cut up the animal, put it on there, instructed those to put a bunch of wood around it. And then he said, now I also want you to dig a trench around the bottom of it because I've got something else I'd like you to do. And before he continues on, he says, all right, I'd like you to go get a big jug of water, a huge cistern of water, and dump it over the top of this sacrifice. Soak it all down real good. So that's what they do. He says, okay, now go do it again. So they go and get another cistern of water and dump it all over this sacrifice. And he says, all right, do it a third time just to be sure. And they get that cistern and they take it and they dump it over and it's so much water that it runs all out of the wood and fills up this little trench that's been dug around the sacrifice just to keep it all right there. And then Elijah, 
starts to pray. And the fire came down. And it consumed that sacrifice. And it consumed the altar. It consumed the wood. And it says it even lapped up all the water that was around it. There was nothing left. And as you can imagine, the prophets of Baal and Asherah were terrified. And they fell on their faces and started crying out, Okay, your God, the one true God! And Elijah has his victory. Elijah wins with God's help. Be a good time for a victory dance, right? Be a good time for for Elijah to take a few laps around the community and just let everybody know that God is God and that he's on God's side. And instead, something else happens. And we find out what else happens at the beginning of chapter 19. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. Something happened to Elijah since his mountain victory, since his mountaintop experience. Something happened. Something that may be familiar to some of you who are listening to this story. Elijah is in despair. He is despairing of life itself. It's something that we see sometimes today. Something that is referred to in modern language as depression. You can hear it in his voice. I have had enough, Lord. Take my life. You can see it in his actions. He just laid down under a bush and he didn't want to get up again. I recognize these signs because I've been there myself. And maybe you have too. I remember it crystal clear. It was a little over two and a half years ago. I'd come through a long season at the last congregation that I was serving. A good season. We accomplished some great things. But it was challenging. It was hard. And I pushed myself hard. And rather than doing some of the things that I probably should have done, which was to take some more rest, I just kept on pushing. Just kept on going. Just kept on doing the thing. 
until one morning. I woke up. It was a Tuesday. I remember it like it was yesterday. I woke up, and I swung my legs over the side of the bed, and I froze. I couldn't figure out what to do next. I didn't know whether to lay down and just go to sleep. I didn't know whether to pull my pants up. I just froze. My wife Angela came out, saw me there, knew something was wrong. She came up right next to me, and I just said, I don't know what to do. And I fell apart. And I'm so thankful that my wife was there for me. She encouraged me, she held me, she prayed for me. Because I had something I had to do that morning. And she prayed for me and I gathered up all the strength I could because I needed to get to work. And I gathered it together and I got to work and I did the one thing I needed to do and I lasted all of an hour and I said, I gotta go home. I gotta get out of here. And I went home and I collapsed on the couch and curled up in a fetal position and didn't know what to do anymore. I was despairing of life. And all I wanted to do was sleep. And I didn't have any appetite anymore. Food didn't taste good. And in that place, you start to hear and listen to voices in your head that are not from God. If you've ever been there before, or even been close to it before, you know that there is an enemy we deal with, an enemy who wants to steal, kill, and destroy, and he starts to lie to you, and he started to lie to me, and the voices in my head said things like, you are a failure, you are weak, you are a fraud, you are unimportant and unworthy of love. These are the voices that speak loudly to some of us who have struggled with this thing called depression. When the lemons of life overwhelm us, just like they did Elijah, if you've ever been in that place, or if you are in that place now, I want you to hear me say something very clearly. Life has given you lemons, but that doesn't mean you are one. Life has given you lemons, but it doesn't mean you are one. It doesn't define you as much as it feels like it does. As much as it's set so deep within your heart that you're not sure what to do. It doesn't define you. You are not a lemon. You're not a mistake. You are not defective. Mental illness and depression don't define you any more than a broken arm does. But the problem is this. When you break your arm, you go to the doctor, they put it in a cast, and you come out, and what does everybody do? Sign your cast, right? 
It doesn't work that way when you come back out of depression. People look at you different. People talk to you differently. People don't know what to do around you. And from that place, you can easily enter into a lot of shame, a lot of guilt, a lot of feelings of unworthiness. Listen, you are not alone in this. You're not alone. You know, Elijah himself started to believe that he was alone. And as a matter of fact, if you look at the whole story of Elijah, multiple times Elijah says things to God and to others, things like, I am the only prophet left. There's nobody else. It's just me, God. But if you read the story, early on in the story, there's this character named Obadiah who was also a lover of God. And Obadiah found Elijah and he said, hey, Elijah, guess what? Guess what I've been doing? Secretly, I've hidden a hundred prophets of God in the caves and I've been taking care of them and feeding them. But that message doesn't get through to Elijah. Because so often we feel isolated. It's all on me. Whatever's happening in your family, it's all on me. Whatever's happening in your job, they can't do it without me. And you push and you push and you push. And sometimes you push to the breaking point. Now, some folks are more likely to have this happen to them than others. So it's not that this applies to everybody, but everybody has probably been impacted in one way or another by somebody who has. So what do we do? Well, first of all, remember this. When life gives you lemons, it doesn't disqualify you from your call. It doesn't disqualify you from what God has called you to do or be in his kingdom. It doesn't end your role as a father or as a husband or as an employer or as a teacher or as a doctor or whatever it might be. It doesn't end those things. God still has a call on your life no matter what you're going through. And he will meet you in that place. You see, God wasn't done with Elijah either. God met him and ministered to him and cared for him. We hear it almost right away, starting in verse 6 of chapter 19. All at once, an angel touched Elijah and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. Does it sound like everything's done for Elijah? No, it doesn't sound like his ministry is done. It also doesn't sound like he's out of the woods yet, does it? 
No, both of those are happening right there. And I want you to pay attention to what's happening right there. Because when Elijah plummets into this place of depression, God doesn't look at him and say, hey, dude, snap out of it. Come on, just get over it. Look at the bright side. That's not what God does. He doesn't shame Elijah. He cares for him. He brings him something to eat. An angel visits him to give him something to eat and something to drink. Hey, you know what? Lots of times that's exactly something that somebody who's struggling in the depths of depression needs. They just need somebody to come and care for them. Not to judge them, not to give them a bunch of pep talks, but just to say, hey, I'm here. And maybe you should just, just try and get up so that you can have some nourishment. And if you need to lay back down and rest some more, lay back down and rest some more. Because the journey might be too hard for you right now. But there's still a journey ahead. There's still work to be done. God still has a call on Elijah's life in the midst of his hardest place. That applies to you, dear brothers and sisters. If you're in that place, it doesn't define you and it doesn't disqualify you. So what do you make of these lemons if this is what has been laid on you? Well, let God bring you healing in body, mind, and spirit. Body, mind, and spirit. The Bible defines us that way. It says that we are a physical body. We are also a mind or a soul where our, where our thoughts and our emotions reside. And we are also spirit, a spirit that will live and last forever. And all three of those are places that God wants to minister to. All three. So let God bring you healing in body, soul, and spirit. And while you're there, don't fall off into two ditches. There are two ditches that I see a lot of people fall into, and I want to be really clear on this too, okay? One ditch is the ditch that says, all I need is just to get some good medicine and I'll be fine. That's all I need. I don't need anything else. Just find the right combination of medications and everything will be fine. That's only part of the story. There's another ditch that people fall into. And that's the ditch of saying, you know what? All I need is to pray. If I would just pray more, if I would just have enough faith, then I would just get through all this and everything would be fine. The truth is those are both just partial answers, which is the most devious of lies because there's just enough truth in it to make you believe it. We are whole in one. God is the one who brings healing, but thank God he has provided wonderful ways to treat us. If you need to go see the doctor, go see the doctor. I'm not one, but I went to see the doctor, and I'm really glad I did. And he gave me some medicine, and it helped a lot. But then I also went and found a good counselor. I found somebody to talk to, to help me work through the emotions and, and the thoughts and all of those things that were happening in my life. It was a good Christian counselor. But he helped me process through these things. And then I also found a really good friend 
somebody who had been friends with me for a long time, somebody who knew me inside and out, knew all the warts, <laughs> loved me anyway, and I called that person and had them pray for me and had them keep praying for me. And I believe it was all three of those things that helped me through. It didn't happen overnight. And everybody's journey in this is different. So don't compare yours to mine. Don't compare yours to anybody else. Your journey is your journey. But God cares. And he wants to minister to you in body, mind, and spirit. So don't fall into those ditches. Find a good doctor. Find a good counselor. Find a trusted friend to pray for you. And then let God care for you. Probably the greatest bit of advice I got in my season of this was be kind to yourself. Be kind to yourself. Sounds kind of funny, but when you really think about it, it sounds an awful lot like, love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as yourself. <laughs> if you're not able to receive that love yourself, because of the depth of depression, it's good to remind yourself that it's okay to be kind to yourself and to let God be kind to you. So where do we go with this today? Well, first of all, it's okay to lament. It's okay to be in it, okay? You don't have to fool me. You don't have to fake it for anybody else to just say, oh, thank you, Pastor, for that sermon. I feel all better now. <laughs> it's okay to be in it. And when you're in it, sometimes you just need to lament. You need to bring it to God. That's what Dan was saying earlier on. You don't just keep it and hide it and, and stay away in that shame. Because there's no shame to be found here, friends. There's just healing in Jesus. So bring it to him. Lament. Talk about how hard it is. Cry out to God. Use the wall of lament that we put up out there. If you need to use it today, great. If you need to wait and use it a little bit later, that's all right. However you do it, just bring it there, okay? Bring it there. If it's something that's too hard for you to share or even to put into a little blue envelope, give me a call. Call myself or Pastor Angie if there's something that is at a place where you just need it to be kept in private, and we'd be happy to pray for you. Send us an email. But it's okay to step into that place of lament so that we can move through this place of despair. I learned a new word, and I want to share it with you today. And it's not actually a new word. It's a very old word. It comes from the 15th century, and it was only used for a little while, and then it kind of fell out of favor. I don't know why. But the word is respair. Respair. It sounds like a made-up word, doesn't it? <laughs> respair. But it's really a word. R-E-S-P-A-I-R. Respair. And here's what it means. It means to have hope restored after a long season of, just, of despair. I think we could use some respair in this season. And it's not just a simple thing like saying, oh, well, it's just joy. Hey, it's just have joy and hope. Everything will be great. No, despair is still part of that word respair. But as Pastor Angie pointed out, if you drop the S, you get repair. There's a process that God is bringing us through. And I think it's significant that he's doing it with us now. 
here at the beginning of a new year in this month of January. It's okay to lament. It's okay to walk through this journey with God because I believe it's a journey of despair. And I think he will bring healing and wholeness. And he can help us get to the next places in life. It won't be easy. It'll be different for each person. And you may need to be somebody who is there to wrap your arms around somebody who's going through this. But take the journey. Take courage, my friends. God is in this. He is in this with you. Be in this with him and with one another. Let's pray. Father, thank you for bringing us to this place today. Thank you for your tender tender mercies that are new every morning. And Jesus, I pray that uh, for everybody who's listening this morning, who is in a place of deep despair, maybe suffering from depression themselves, maybe they're just coming out of it, or maybe they're with somebody who is struggling with it and they don't know what to do. Lord, would you, by your mercy, bring grace and love and comfort and wisdom to each person. Lord, would you help them to see you? Would you help them to be honest with you about what they're feeling and what they're going through right now so that they can find you and find one another as your body knitted together to bring wholeness, body, soul, and spirit. We trust you in this, Jesus. We believe in you. We hold on to you because we know you hold on to us. We pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen.